This is part two of my experience with hospice. It's titled, Entering Hospice, Dignity in the Face of Fear. Part one, podcast 18, I described intake and is on a previous link. Today I want to talk about Donna's arrival on the hospice unit and our experiences, my experience. As we entered the unit with Donna on a gurney, my first impression was shock. As if this whole tracking illness experience wasn't shocking in and of itself. And it's less about the unit, but the idea of it. Hospice is hospice, and we all come to this. We all think about it with some preconceived notions and attitudes. Yes, it's the end of the line. But it's not like when Donna got her diagnosis, we harbored the fantasy magical unicorn rainbow sparkle belief that there would be a happy ending. I remember the overwhelming silence, both of us, as we entered, lost in our thoughts. It wasn't really fear, just a blanket of sadness, less about the place and more about how this would play out for how long and in what capacity. The staff. It's all about the staff, the people, the humans, because the magic of science is gone, supplanted by caring, supporting people. People who make this horrific, tragic, sad, painful end of life for both of us bearable and surprisingly hopeful and comforting. The physical plant was fine. It was older but clean and comfortable. The room had windows, whatever. It was where the end would come. And I guess worrying about wainscoting was not a priority. Right now, the nurse in charge came and spoke with us. Details, I'm not sure I remember. I was introduced to other members of the staff, Donna's patient care associate, the physician, the social workers, and the clergy. But the one person I remember who stood out as key for Donna was the patient care advocate, who would be doing the majority of the care, and the nurse who was there to make sure her extensive experience and expertise were brought to help Donna and me. Yes, and me. We were not alone. The unit within the hospital was always open and accessible. Anytime, day or night, I could enter from any door in the hospital. All I had to do was say I was going to the hospice unit, and there was never a question or a concern or ask for ID. Everyone knew that I and anyone else going to the hospice unit was one of the walking emotionally dead. I would try and stay with Donna for the day, return home to feed Nina, give her her insulin, and return. This became my routine, along with getting a slice at a pizza place on the way home. And there was a park that I had to walk across with a fountain on the way to the subway. Green, cool, a place to sit and think for some. For me, it's a reminder of where I was going or coming from. Not sure I even knew where I was, but once in a unit I would sit with Donna, talk to her mostly. Not sure she had much to say. 
She always lived in the harsh reality of daylight, and her daylight was fading to black. I was trying to talk to her about her end-of-life wishes and plans, and in such a dawn way, she looked up at me and said, Stop being a model and pussy. Well, I did stop. She was far brighter than me. I'd bring her items to make sure the staff was on top of her needs, as if I knew what they needed to do. It was frantic hand-wringing for me. During this time, the effects of whole brain radiation was taking its toll. She was having sundowner syndrome with bouts of delusion in the evening. Calling me on her phone, asking me what I did with her phone, telling me she lost her glasses, which she was wearing. Yeah, heartbreaking. I would rush back to be with her. During this time, the staff, both nursing and physicians, would comfort me, tell me that this is to be expected. They would tell me how they were adjusting her meds, what was going on clinically. I was part of the team, I guess, but in a bigger way, I was relieved of my caregiving duties and could focus on being with Donna. Yet those who know me know I'm a control freak and taking charge was going to win over watching. I had to know what was going on, what was being done, what more could be done. I was respectful but active in her care. And they, the staff, the people, the humans who were caring for her, were caring for me in a very big way. That's what they do. We may be lost and focused on our loved ones, yet they see the full spectrum of the patient in full 360 degrees. I asked about being there when the end came, and very clearly a physician told me that that's hard. It doesn't happen with most patients. It's missed by most. It just happens there are a few signs to say now. That somewhat assuaged my fears. This is what happens in hospice. They leverage their clinical knowledge to care for the patient, but focus their attention on our needs, the loved ones, the spouse, the family. The needs of the loved ones and the families, they want us to succeed. If that is a word, to succeed after her death, perhaps a better word is adapt. They want us to adapt. I'm not sure I even agree with that, but I think it's true. The message here is access these healthcare professionals' experience, knowledge, and support. They will do cartwheels for you and the patient if asked. On Wednesdays, the unit somehow was able to corral local restaurants to come in, serve dinners. These restaurants were not Arby's or Mickey D's. They were three-star, well-regarded eateries in New York City. The reality is, the patients were not eating, so the service was for family members, loved ones, visitors, and the staff. It was good to have a home-cooked meal, not a slice running back and forth to the unit. And in a way, you had a chance to break bread with others. Even if you didn't talk or share, you were there together in this common moment of grief, fear, and sadness. You weren't alone. And I was able to have Donna's friends come in and get a meal while visiting her. Her friends rallied during her side during this time in mine. Let me assure you, this is not sitting around a campfire making some mores and telling stories. About a week to 10 days in, I was showing a nurse a picture of Nina, our Westie. The nurse said, you know, you can bring Nina in. What the? 
Ugh. They tell me now when Donna's hardly alert and awake, sweet. But I did bring Nina in. She slept on Donna's bed and was visited by the staff. I guess in the end it was okay, but I was pissed. About the same time, Donna was having difficulty swallowing. I kept giving her sips of water. A resident or fellow saw me and told me, stop, nothing oral. This was late Tuesday morning. All day I could see Donna was struggling, wanted water. I was giving her ice chips, but it was not working well at all. That night and the next morning, you could see it on Donna's face. She wanted water. To this day, that image remains. I'm sure I've been a D-bag husband at times, but this was full-on, in-my-face reality. In my mind, I was killing her. I was harming her. Luckily, that morning, there was a grand rounds with the director of palliative care and a few other residents and fellows. I knew my place. I stood and listened. And then I just blurted out, Can I give Donna some water? I, I was told not to, but please, can she have some water? The director asked me, Who told you that? I pointed to the resident fellow dude, and the director turned. And if looks could kill, Yeah, I snitched on him. I don't give a shit. She said to him in no uncertain terms, get me a cup of ice water and a soft toothbrush, a sponge toothbrush. The director proceeded to wet the sponge of the brush and put it in Donna's mouth. You cannot imagine the smile she gave, everyone, and the joy in her eyes from that simple, small moment. I see it now as I speak. Finally, for the first week, the social workers, the clinical staff, the rabbi all spoke with me in the hall, or I grabbed them in the hall, and we talked. And that was one day I finally said to the social worker, do we always have to speak in a crowded hall? She was shocked and realized I was never offered a room to sit in to be alone or talk. Well, she found one. The takeaway from this is you need to be active, less as a caregiver and more as an advocate, asking questions, learning, understanding what can be done better, what can we do better at being there for our loved ones. We move from a caregiver to being a loved one, and that's important. We're not caring for them, but the staff and everybody's there to help you, help the patient. So to get that help, we need to say help. Scream it, perhaps. Help. Speak. They will not just hear, but listen and act in the patient in your best interest. Finally, Donna's primary care physician and her oncologist stopped by to review the charts, speak with the clinical team, speak to me. I just accepted that as what happens. But it wasn't until a year after that I learned that that never happens. They never come. Once a patient's released to hospice, there's no need to see them. And this is not about me or Donna, but the fact that the team, from the day she got her diagnosis to, to, to now, were an integrated team. They were part of her care, whether it was their role directly and responsibility or not. 
And I'd also like to believe speaks to the relationship Donna and I established from the beginning. We respected them, worked with them, but we spoke up and participated. We were engaged. They knew us not as a chart, but as Mark and Donna with real fears and emotions. Okay, who am I bullshitting? They were consummate professionals who did this day in and day out. But it felt good. It felt loved, supported, helped, valued. That's what it gave us. And guess what? Not everyone gets this. We still have fragmented end-of-life system, even with hospice in place. But it's changing. And I wanted you all to know about it, to hear what it can be. Hospice is about dying well. There is no good death. Any death is bad, painful, but dying well, surrounded by friends, family, loved ones, changes the dynamic for both the patient and the family. It makes the time to the finite end better, kinder, and more comfortable. But more importantly, it's the time after death. That is my long darkness, our long darkness the time after death of a loved one. Our memories are what we lost in fear and suffer over. For many of us, it is grief that's unfathomable and relentless. Yet for me and my experience with hospice and Donna's entire continuum spectrum of care, I had memories that gave me hope and kindness. Friends and families and a team were there for Donna first and me as well. They were there to help me because they knew I was to live as much as I didn't want to. But thinking about the time during her care in hospice, I reflect on what was, not wasn't. I've said this about Donna and her illness, and, and this is Donna to a T. And it's quote I read somewhere, I'm not sure where. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the presence of dignity in the face of fear. The team who cared for us, cared for Donna and the hospice, treated us with dignity and helped us remain that way, even during death. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please leave them. Um, I, I, I hope your takeaway from this is, is that hospice is there to make our lives easier during and after. Thank you.